Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Have questions about the healthcare industry? Welcome to 19 Conversations. Today, we're asking Natalie Moll, Director General of FPIA, the European Federation of Pharmaceutical Industries and Associations, how to future-proof medicines regulation in the post-COVID world. I'm Jackie Davis. Thank you for joining the conversation. So, Natalie, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Um, can we start uh, with COVID-19 and what we've learned? What do you see as the most important lessons that have emerged from the pandemic, both about the functioning of our healthcare systems, but also of the regulatory systems that lie behind them? Well, it's lovely to be here, Jackie, and thank you for the important question. I think we have learned two very important lessons, that our healthcare systems and our regulatory systems are not only there to function in times where things are as normal, but they need to be adaptable and able to deal with pandemics as well. This might not be the last pandemic we see. And you have seen in this pandemic unprecedented levels of demands. We've seen member states closing their borders, supply problems, a need to accelerate to make our regulatory systems more flexible, to preserve things like clinical trials and research. And we've seen the most important, I would say, outcome of this pandemic is collaboration, trust. We have been able to raise the issues as well as other stakeholders and regulatory authorities, whether national European, have responded very quickly with adaptations that have worked. And I think we should remember those lessons learned and see whether we can adopt them in normal times whenever those come back, but also in the other areas of pharmaceuticals that are not COVID-related. Mm. I mean, and that collaboration you talked about has been quite remarkable and quite unprecedented, leading to where we are now. Uh, when, when many people said a year ago, vaccines, long way off. And here we are already with several approved people being vaccinated. It's been remarkable. And has that really been down to that collaboration, that working policymakers, stakeholders, regulators all working together? I think it's really the crisis. Every crisis uh, brings out the best or the worst in people. I would say this crisis has brought out the best in all of us and also forced us to go beyond what we have done so far. And in that sense, you've seen from the very beginning collaboration between companies, research centers. So the things that you usually see, but at a much bigger pace, um, companies looking through their libraries to see if there was anything that could be used as a diagnosis, as a, as a treatment, as a vaccine. And then you've seen really this partnering up to speed everywhere it was possible, speed things up without compromising on safety, doing clinical trials in parallel, assessing things in parallel, really learning to adapt to the needs of new technologies. And I, I think really there we've learned some very important lessons, not only at European level, but also globally, which is something we always aim to have this sort of global regulatory alignment. And we need to take those lessons and use them now as the new technologies come on board, as we've seen a lot of biotechnologies a lot of complex technologies that in some ways and in some aspects do uh, mirror some of the vaccines and be able to adapt our systems to approve those just as quickly for the patients who need those. And you talk there about taking those lessons on board uh, and applying them. I mean, of course, in the pre-COVID world, the European Union was already at the forefront of ensuring that patients have access to safe, to innovative, to affordable medicines. But we face new challenges, as you've said, uh, and we've learned lessons from COVID. So do you think in light of what we now know, the current regulatory environment is 
fit for the future, ready to meet those challenges and seize those technological opportunities? So certainly everywhere in the world, the stability and the supportiveness of a regulatory system are key to reassuring the whole healthcare innovation system that this is a place where investments can be made, long-term investments. Medicine takes about 15 years between discovery and getting on the market. And that stability is important. Today, it's played a key role in Europe in attracting the 35 billion euros that pharma industry invests every year, as well as the employment of 750,000 people in Europe. So that's today. We, though, need to keep pace. We need to evolve our regulatory systems, further strengthen them, make sure they are predictable, adaptable and effective and globally competitive. So that's another point that we learned from COVID that is possible. I think the opportunity we have at European level right now is the pharmaceutical strategy that was published by the Commission at the end of last year. There are areas that we can work on, some without changing the legislation, for example, encouraging the use of new clinical trials. There are incredible new uh, possibilities out there that we maybe haven't tapped into enough at European level using real-world evidence in regulatory decision-making properly and accepting that use, strengthening dialogue between industry and regulators throughout the development process of a medicine to make sure that we know what we are being asked for and that we get answers as quickly as possible to regulatory authorities. And then simplifying the way the combination products, you know, the ones that are medicines and medical devices, simplifying how they're regulated in a more coherent and streamlined way. So those are all things that in today's legislation you could already achieve without changing it. Yeah. And and so you do feel that the pharmaceutical strategy moves in the right direction, contains the key elements. Um, but also, you talked about the system evolving. How do we combine a system that evolves, that's agile, that's flexible, can react to innovation with one that is also stable and predictable? Because that's important for your members as well, isn't it? That's right. And I think the important thing there is to make sure that any changes that are proposed are really discussed very carefully with those who have to implement those changes. And in this case, it's industry. And I think in the same way that we did that during COVID-19, when we still are, but of course during COVID-19, when obstacles arose, when we could see clinical trials not taking place, when we could see patients not going to the doctor anymore, how else can we get the medicines to them? If we were able to collaborate and trust each other, then we should be able to collaborate and trust each other now and make sure that anything that is put in place is the most predictable and fastest way. So if the most predictable and fastest way is to reopen the piece of legislation, then so be it. Usually it takes quite a long time and rather unpredictable. If there are more predictable ways like guidelines, such as the ones we use during the pandemic, then let's go that way. But let's be a little bit flexible in our approach, learning from what we've had to go through and really ensure the optimal use of the different tools that are already there. And you've talked about, as you say, the tools that are already there and what you can do without any change in legislation. But if there were to be legislative changes, what would you like to see happen? So for our industry, the priority areas that could benefit from a legislative change if there were to be um, would be enabling swifter and more expertise-driven assessment and decision-making in the centralized authorization system that we have, ensuring the optimal use of fast-track and accelerated approval pathways. There are many, but they're maybe not used to the extent they should be as they are in other parts of the world. Allowing the replacement of paper patient information leaflets with electronic patient information leaflets that would be important to update the information very quickly 
and then expanding the role of the European Medicines Agency in the assessment of drug device combination products. Those would be our four priority areas. Uh, and you mentioned there uh, the role of the European Medicals Agency. And um, we've talked a little bit about the pharmaceutical strategy broadly, but other initiatives, the health union package, the mandate revision for the EMA, which of course is part of that strategy, do they contain all the necessary elements to address some of these challenges we're talking about? Is there anything missing? I think we're very happy to see how quickly these considerations were made in the sense that it's not enough to continue as we are today. So both the health union package and the revision of the EMA mandate are very important. It's important that they enhance the health emergency preparedness and response capacity of our region, that they are all done in close dialogue, of course, as before, and really that we put patient needs to the forefront And if those things are achieved, if we can dialogue, if we can make sure that we have harmonized definitions for many of the issues that we talk about, such as shortages, for example, that would already be a good start. We can build on a common understanding, a common analysis of where the obstacles are, and then overcome them. And I think that would already be a big step forward compared to where we are today. But, you know, it's the stepwise approach. And there are some fantastic proposals, such as integrating the European Medicines Agency into the future European health data space IT infrastructure, including real-world evidence and real-world data. I mean, there are some things that we can definitely do that will change the way in which we manage innovation and will attract more innovation. So, Natalie, I mean, in many, many sectors, we talk about uh, the impact of COVID and we're always asking ourselves, uh, will we go back to business as usual uh, Will or, or are we really in a new normal for your industry uh, and for the needs that it is seeking to meet on a daily basis? Do you see this very much as a new normal or, if you like, a, a slightly adjusted old normal? How radically different do you think things will be and need to be in the future? Well, one thing that it's important to bear in mind during COVID and that I heard some of our industry leaders saying is that COVID comes on top. So it's not that we're suddenly stopping everything and just dealing with COVID and we're developing treatments and vaccines and diagnostics. It's come on top and it will continue to come on top as we see variants or other pandemics developing. So we need to make sure that our regulatory system in our new normal is more streamlined, includes less complexity while ensuring the quality, safety and efficacy of medicines for patients so that when we have these situations that we have to do things on top, we're able to do that without taking anything away from the other work that companies have had to continue while developing and finding these new treatments, vaccines and diagnostics on all the other medicines that have to continue. So I think it's important to realize it's become a double speed world where we need to be adapted to that reality, which is a new normal. Mm. And and do you see this increased emphasis at EU level on health policy, unprecedented levels of attention, discussions about a health union, how far that will go remains to be seen, but nevertheless, a focus on this issue in a way that we didn't see before, particularly given that most health issues are still an EU member state competence. Do you think that gives us a window of opportunity, if you like, to build this new world you're talking about? I really think it's a unique time, Jackie, because the connection between health and economy, health and individuals has finally been made. Uh, It was always there in all of our health communities, but it was never in the forefront of politics. And never before has it been clearer that if you don't have a healthy population, you cannot go forward. And so I'm really hoping that the many elements that have been put forward because of this pandemic, the many policies and proposals will reach their conclusion 
um, in, a, in, a, in a most positive way with that in mind that ensuring the health of citizens is ensuring the survival, if you like, of our planet as we know it. And uh, I'm, I'm very optimistic and I'm delighted to be able to have those conversations and that we are able to engage the general public as well on conversations about health. You talked about the general public, and that's really a, a question I wanted to come to before we finish, Natalie, because this has changed the public's perception, knowledge levels, awareness uh, of the work done by your industry, of the challenges you face uh, in a way that is quite remarkable. What impact do you think that is likely to have in the future when we talk about more innovative technologies, more innovative treatments and therapies? Well, this for me is really one of the silver linings of COVID, together with spending more time with your family and traveling less, in my case. Um, as a scientist, I'm really excited and interested to see how much the general public is asking for information on the technology, on vaccines. Where do they come from? How are they created? Are they approved? Are they safe? How do you administer them? Suddenly, there is a level of understanding or and knowledge which is increasing, and that will allow us, hopefully, to have a much better conversation when we come to discussing innovative treatments that in some cases are cures. And people will be hopefully just as interested to understand what you can cure cancer. How do you do that? Uh, is it safe? Is it approved? And, you know, that would really give me hope for a, but that's because I'm a scientist in this area, for, for an excitement, a level of excitement, and not only more people studying and getting into this field and finding out more things, but also more people looking after their health and being overall a community that is better protected and, and better sustained. But I'm a big optimist. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, very. you are an optimist about the future, both in terms of what your industry can deliver. Uh, and, and the issue here now is how to see how that regulatory excellence we're talking about, fostering innovation, goes along with patient acceptance of that innovation. Um, if you had to identify just a key next step, as we, I say, as we emerge from the pandemic, we don't know when we will be truly out of it, but all the signs are now very hopeful. Um, if you were trying to identify one thing we need to do, and it can be for yourselves as an industry or for policymakers and regulators, what for you is the key next step? For me, the key next step is to ensure that decisions in the area of health are made together. So the whole healthcare system, whether it's from patients all the way up to industry with the regulators in the middle, when we discuss about introduction of new technologies, when we discuss about regulation of new technologies, when we discuss about access, have that conversation because there is a knock-on effect. There's always a Mexican wave between the inventor and the one who receives to everybody in the middle. And we've been a bit selective on who we speak to and who we don't speak to, all of us. And really, my key next step would be, there's a revolution coming, a biotech revolution. Can we sit together and discuss how we get this to patients as quickly as possible? And Natalie, you and I will continue this conversation about that revolution and how to take full advantage of us uh, with other panellists during the DIA uh, Europe Executive Forum uh, later on this month. So I very much look forward to delving into some of this in even more detail uh, at that event. Uh, and thank you very much uh, for listening to 19 Conversations. If you like this podcast, please click on the subscribe button to be the first to know when we release our next episode and please leave a rating and review. And until our next episode, we'd invite you to join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag questions inspire solutions. Goodbye. <laughs>